Welcome back to Feed the Q. I'm Lauren Passell. I'm the founder of Tink Media, and I have two podcast newsletters, Podcast the Newsletter and Podcast Marketing Magic. And I'm Adela Mizrachi. I'm the founder of Podcast Brunch Club, which is like book club, but for podcasts. And we have chapters all over the world, so just find us and join. But if you are new here, this is how Feed the Q works. We are basically a podcast discovery podcast. We just find the best shows and we drop an episode of those shows into this queue. So you can just come here, find the best of the best, and then go and subscribe to all of these shows. And today we are featuring an episode from a podcast called This Is Good For You. The episode is called Honky Tonking Is Good For You. And here's a little bit about the show, just to give you a frame of reference. Nicole Perkins celebrates the things that people love, like board games, watching pro wrestling, sneakers, doing needlepoint, and she just encourages us, and she just encourages us to find our own fun obsession. She does not want us to feel bad spending time doing these things. She just wants us to embrace them. So this is just stuff you do for the pure love of doing stuff. It's stuff that doesn't necessarily make you money. It's not necessarily something you do for someone else, but it's just celebrating guilty pleasures and proving that there isn't such a thing. Okay. And also we have to just stop right now. I mean, I still want this on the podcast, but they, they can't see right now. So I have to tell them you look really pretty and your eyes look really pretty today. I just wish <laughs> they could see your eyes. I don't know. That's so funny. Do you do something different? What? No, I just have this giant blue light, like I think reflecting back at you from the microphone that I think you might think those are my eyes or something like it might like line up I think, like that. I think you have pretty <laughs> eyelashes and the listeners might not know that. So I just Aww. wanted them to know. But anyway, back to Nicole. Nicole is a poet. She has a book called Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be that I highly recommend. But her voice is just like juicy and warm. And, you know, this show inspires me to find a passion project of my own. I feel like my passion project was podcasts and then it became my job. So I have to find something else. Um, but the interviews are so comfortable and I love all of them. But so she's from Nashville, but she had never gone honky talking. And in this interview, first of all, you'll learn what that is if you don't already know, but she talks to someone named Donkey Dover Jr. about the gay honky-tonk scene, which is more inviting and exciting than I ever could have imagined. It's a real community. And Nicole kind of was always hesitant to explore, but Donkey Dover Jr.'s enthusiasm for it is contagious. So wait, Adela, I have two questions for you. First of all, we met in Nashville. Yeah. I'll never forget the moment I met you. I will never, ever forget it at Podcast Movement. But have you ever been honky-talking? I have been, actually. I've gone, I mean, it's country line dancing, right? So, like, I've been country line dancing, but I haven't done all of the dances that he was talking about, like the two-step. It wasn't like partner dancing. It was more like country line dancing. So I kind of am not clear, is that? Are those two the same thing? I think he would say it counts because I think it's more in what's in what with the intention, right? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I think he kind of just wants you to go have fun, whatever you're doing. Uh huh. So I think that counts. I have been, I mean, not that this is at all the same, but 
salsa dancing. Like a lot of the things that he was talking about reminds me of salsa dancing. Like I used to go salsa dancing all the time. And it was like, you know, you go to a club and the first hour is for beginners and they teach you some of the basic moves. And there's a very, very clear etiquette during the sort of dance part where somebody invites you to dance, you dance with them for one song and then they let you go. And then you, you know, and that's it. It's just, it was so much fun. And I loved the sort of the etiquette around it. So it wasn't like, yeah, it was just fun. I would highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah. Just dancing. Dance at home. Dance by Any yourself. Any kind of dance. Yeah. yeah dance all the, we, we don't dance enough. It's totally true. But my other question for you, do you have like a guilty pleasure? That word is so crappy, but like, do you have ones or something that someone might consider a guilty pleasure? I mean, honestly, the guilty pleasure that I have is just like doing nothing. That's the best. Yeah. Like it does, but does it does make me feel guilty. Like if I'm not productive for a day, I'm just like, what am I doing with my life? But I love this podcast because she would be like, that's fine. Like that's what you should be doing because that's clearly what you need. Exactly. Yeah. So. Exactly. Well, great. I love it. And quick thanks to Clever FM for sponsoring this season of Feed the Q. Clever is a podcast app designed for the super listener. Welcome to 2022. I've got new planners, new journals. You know, I've been putting all this stuff in my phone as well. Everything I can do because I'm sure that's all going to make me the most organized person in the world because they've never failed before. (laughs) I finally got someone to put together my exercise bike. I am ready for Hosier to put out a new album. There is so much possibility in the air, and I hope the start of the new year has been good to you. I didn't go home for Christmas for a few reasons, and of course, I miss it. I miss Nashville so much. I miss my family and friends. I miss the food. I miss letting my accent fly freely. I even miss hearing country music in the grocery stores and in the malls. Country music is not my favorite, but it is impossible to ignore when you grow up in Music City. A nickname that Queen Victoria gave Nashville because of the Fisk Jubilee singers and not because of country music. Fun fact. When I moved away from Nashville for school and I would tell people where I was from, I would usually get one of three responses. One, oh, there are Black people in Nashville? Two, oh, Nashville, Graceland, right? Or three. So I guess that means you like country music, huh? Country music is fine. It is a perfectly good genre of music, but I do enjoy being contrary. So whenever people would say that to me, I would just roll my eyes and be like, no. 
Plus, by that time, there was like a new wave of country music that really didn't sit well with me. It wasn't necessarily my favorite. I like the old school stuff. I like Patsy Cline and Johnny Cash and Hank Williams and all those old school guys that put country music on the American pop culture map. Country pop wasn't necessarily made for me. So I would disappoint a lot of people by my lack of country music knowledge. You know, they'd also tease me about line dancing and square dancing and stuff like that. You know, I, of course, had to learn square dancing in school, but you will never, ever catch me going into a honky tonk. One of those little hole in the wall spots where it's just a whole bunch of country white folks with beer. (laughs) Just beer and whiskey and white folks. It's not a good combination for me. I like living I don't want to go someplace and figure out if I'm going to have to fight for my life. And I definitely don't want to go into a place and be like, I'm just trying to do a little heel toe here. Why do I need to keep my back against the wall? So in all of my Nashville years, I have never gone honky tonking. But I have got a friend who does it on the regular. Donkey Dover Jr. was raised all over the small town South and now lives in Philadelphia, but that doesn't keep them from frequent doses of dosy dos and boot scooting. I asked Donkey to come talk to me about the honky tonk scene and maybe even help me get over some preconceived notions about that kind of nightlife. I am Donkey Dover Jr. I'm the oldest of 10 children. I'm a sixth generation Carolinian, uh, currently residing in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. What we're going to talk about today is honky tonking. (laughs) My favorite thing to do. There's no way to say that without all of my accent coming out because it is a very country thing. What is honky tonking? Um, So as I understand it, A honky-tonk requires three things. It requires working-class people, alcohol, and country music. Okay. (laughs) So honky-tonk might be my uncle's shed after New or Christmas Eve at Grandma's. Uh, Honky-tonk for me in Philly is the top floor of a gay bar that just happens to have country music dancing and has since the 90s every Friday night. When I'm home, my local honky-tonk, one of them is called the Thirsty Beaver Saloon. It's in the middle of a rapidly gentrifying neighborhood in Charlotte and refused to move. So it's this tiny little honky-tonk surrounded on three sides by, you know, $300,000 condos. That's something. We're going to come back to that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) How did you find a country music night for honky-tonking in Philadelphia? Uh, So initially I found it in 2004 when I first moved to Philly. I lived with a woman who wanted to go and two-step one night. And the honky-tonk in Philly, it's called Giddy Up Philly. It is an LGBTQ plus honky-tonk experience. Uh, It's been happening since the 90s. Every Friday night, uh, since as far as I know, at least 1993. And she took me over uh, to do some dancing. It's funny because I I remember very much the first time going. Uh, I don't remember taking to it very quickly. And I also remember losing my keys. Okay, so you were new to honky-tonk and... Once you got to Philly, like, break that down for me. 
Actually, not at all. I grew up in the small town south. I lived in rural northwest Georgia in 1993 when Alan Jackson had the number one hit, Chattahoochee. We were, you know, <laughs> doing the achy breaky in gym class. We were boot scooting boogie in gym class. So I was familiar with country line dancing from that point in my life. And before moving to, to Philadelphia, I lived in D.C. And there's a storied honky tonk there that's no longer uh, called Remington's. And it was a bar in Capitol Hill that had country dancing in the downstairs and karaoke at the upstairs. And I spent most of my time karaokeing, and in the three years that I lived there, never made it downstairs to dance. And so once I finally fell into to learning to dance and enjoying to dance here in Philly, you know, I kick myself all the time for having had this uh, beautiful, wonderful place to dance downstairs from where I was karaokeing and never, never setting foot on the dance floor. I think a lot of people know about square dancing because most of us had to do some sort of PE segment where we learned about square dancing. And then when we got to be adults, we realized that square dancing was a part of our curriculum because of some racist propaganda. <laughs> they were trying to combat jazz and the influence of jazz on the American public. And so I think it was Ford wanted to put square dancing in in order to get people to be full of white pride, basically. Ooh, I, they did, did learn that one in Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough. All that to say, I think when a lot of people think about square dancing and going to something like a honky-tonk, it is very much, uh, well, at least for me and my people, there is a little bit of like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go there because I'm scared I might get lynched. And that's why I have never gone to an official honky-tonk. So is that something that you have seen change over the years or is it more diverse because you're going to a honky-tonk that's already geared towards queer people? Uh, great question. So when honky-tonking started to click for me, I was soul line dancing, what most, most folks call soul line dancing. So I was doing soul line dancing every weekend with elders um, who were part of a program that was like keeping folks healthy in their old age. And I love old folks. They're my favorite. So I had been soul line dancing every Wednesday and what I loved about that soul line dancing space is that if you, and I'm sure you have, you know, watching old folks dance, they're, they're not worried about hitting every step. They're not worried about who's watching. They're there to have a good time. And so it made a space for me that I felt more comfortable trying the steps and attempting. And then that translated for me to the actual, when I got to the honky talk and I was like, oh, well, I can do these steps because I've been doing these steps for these other songs. And so I sort of came into honky talking with the influence of, of black elders onto my country line dancing. Uh, but to your question, it, my space where I dance every Friday in Philadelphia is one of my favorite places because it's so inclusive. You know, there's old folks, there's young folks, there's black folks and white folks, everybody's dancing. In the South, you know, I'm a queer person in the South. One of the reasons that I took so heavily to country line dancing and to two-stepping is because there's rules. And so for so much of my life, I was trying to not get outed. So I wasn't going near a dance floor. Because that was going to be my tell. The minute you saw me move to music that I love, you would know that, you know, a little light in the loafers is what, you know, my uncle or aunt would say. So um, coming to a dance where there was rules gave me a space where I could be like, oh, well, there's rules. All I got to do is the rules and no one's going to know what's going on. And so I still feel that when I go down to honky tonks in the South that are predominantly straight spaces, predominantly white spaces. There's one honky tonk in particular near my mama's house called the Blind Horse Saloon uh, in Greenville, South Carolina. 
And I always feel like I'm on the, the edge of a hate crime when I go in there. I'm like, oh, well, let me yeah. just like hang around the edges. I'll get in one of the songs I know. And at the same time, that is the most integrated racially dance floor that I've ever danced on. Oh. And so it's an interesting dichotomy because it's uh, growing up in the South and even in Philadelphia, I think that there are, you know, there are country black folks and there are, there are country black folks that are like in Wranglers and cowboy hat. You know, every, every town's got that, that group of people or that black man or black woman who's been socialized on country radio in this, you know, white culture that, you know, in itself isn't really based in white culture, but this particular bar, the uh, blind horse, you know, I would feel completely comfortable taking you there. I would hope that you would feel comfortable there and knowing uh, your penchant for like French fry shaped men. I think that you <laughs> might actually like looking at the clientele there. It's a lot of like, you know, tall, lanky, real tight jeans and cowboy hat kind of boys. But uh yeah, I'd say that um, I grew up in the, you know, going to the Boys and Girls Club, also a very racially mixed space, right? And there are, I think there are spaces in the South where, especially when it's, it's places for poor folks in the South, where it's like, well, we're all here. Like, we're not going to fuck this place up for each of us because it's what we've got. And I feel like that's the feeling that I get in the blind horse in particular across racial lines. I don't know about, you know, I would, I would never take a man across the dance floor there, but I would take you for a spin there. Hmm. But thank you. I want to go one day. Um, you mentioned something that makes me think of how country is not just a Southern thing. You can be country all over the world. Like you can be country in Montana, which is not in the South, right? You can be country in Philadelphia because it's just a matter of like a lifestyle. You talked about working class people. Uh, so can you talk more about that kind of feel of working class people, maybe people who are in the more rural areas away from these big cities like Philadelphia and what what kind of relief does Honky Tonkin bring to these people? So I, um, I'm a person raised in the South, raised in the small town South. My neighborhood has more people now than any town I've ever lived in as a kid. And I long for the South in this way from here you know that long distance long and then i get back home and i'm like you yeah, know there's a lot of stuff i don't long for down here and i think that i'm drawn to honky talking because it it's the kind of thing that i do long for right it's working class people having a good time uh shaking off a hard work day in the long tradition of honky talking you know, that's what that's what these bars were and i think that from what i read anyway they were a lot more socially progressive than we than we might expect today. I was reading about honky tonks in West Texas when, you know, the folks that were going out there to settle and push through and, and mine and stuff were predominantly men, but they still wanted a honky tonk. So what they would do is they would have one of the men put a bandana in his back pocket to signify that he was the follow of that dance. He was taking on the ladies' role for that dance. And I can't imagine doing that in a in a honky tonk today, right? I mean I can in my personal honky tonk where I where I dance every Friday, but you know, I wouldn't, if I slid up to the, to the blind horse or to Coyote Joe's and, and tried to pull that, it would be a, you know, a scene. So I think um, my understanding is that these spaces have been spaces for release spaces for joy uh, in the midst of, of really, you know, shitty times for a lot of people. The story I heard is that the term honky tonk comes from a brand of pianos in the twenties and thirties called tonks. And it's an onomatopoeia. They would say, oh, you know, such and such is going to honk a tonk tonight. And that's how uh, the term came. And actually, one of the first big uh, honky tonk pianists was a black woman from Trinidad. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did not know that. 
<laughs> I can believe it though, because so much of country music, obviously, we know that country music has its roots in um, different types of blues and rock and roll, and then it all just kind of goes out from there. So, what kind of music? I know we you listen to country music at these places, but do the songs always have dance? directions in them how do you know how to move to these songs so it's funny i so i like i said i dance country to gay bar so the folks that are there aren't necessarily country music fans at all but a lot of the songs are written for country songs but then also there are songs where it's like this song is written for a george Strait song and we're gonna dance it to christina aguilera because <laughs> the beats per minutes match and you know folks are having their time on the dance floor so um there are dances that are choreographed for specific songs and that's one thing that you know they'll be like oh this is the one we do to house party and it's only going to work the house party and this is the way that you dance this to house party and there are other dances where you might have a faster song a slower song and then like an off genre song that all three you know we're just at 160 beats per minute on this as long as the timing is right you can do this dance to, to any song and sometimes that's hard to figure out as a first-time dancer right like uh especially for me my you know i travel quite a bit and one of the things i do when i'm traveling somewhere is google like country dancing like x town to see what's going on and so you might walk into a honky tonk and hear a song that you know but they're not doing the dance that you know to that song they've got another dance to that song or they might be doing the dance that you know but they're doing their honky tonks version of that dance so you're like three quarters of the way into the dance and this happened to me just a couple weeks ago and i was like oh wait actually no i don't know this dance at all <laughs> and then you've got there are some songs that are just uh there's one called the el paso when you learn it it's a kind of a cute little sexy partner line dance and so you you are with your partner side to side for some dances and then you turn out and you like do a little sexy grind on one another uh and then you like finish the song um and it's got some really cute kicks and it's really easy dance and what i found is that in straight country bars women who don't have partners will do this dance with themselves on the songs that any song that it'll go to if some if there's two step in or like partner dancing happening and they don't have a partner it'll be like a conga line of women just all doing the el paso by themselves just around <laughs> they're like we, you know, we're gonna keep dancing we don't need you know i don't need you to ask me to dance i'm just gonna do the el paso until this song goes through so are people always dancing? Because that's something that I've seen, you know, as I've gotten a little older and every now and then when I pop into a, a club, it seems like fewer people are dancing these days. People are more just concerned with their drinks and talking to each other. And then, of course, maybe documenting it for social media or whatever. And then, you know, for a while when I was coming up, there would be a point where like, the men weren't necessarily dancing. They were just watching the girls dance and then they would try to like walk up on the girls while they're dancing. And like you just said, most of the time the girls are just like, oh, that's okay, we're good. We don't need you, we're fine or whatever. So I'm wondering if part of the freedom of being at a honky-tonk is that more people are dancing and more people are there to just like let go. I think you're definitely right. I think it's there's also rules to it, right? It's not like a dance kind of scene where I'm just going to run up on you and like, you know, start grinding on you because the dance is all like we're doing a two-step and you will very quickly and often you know it's, it's an intergenerational space it'll often be an older person will like come and hook you in the collar and be like nope no drinks on the dance floor or like this is not that dance and they will pull you right off if you're doing that which especially dancing at a gay space a lot of times midway through our night of line dancing a group of like 
bachelorette girls or woo girls will come in and want to like hop on the dance floor and just get immediately like drug right off like no sorry sorry no this is not that and what i think that that i was thinking about this earlier when i was thinking about talking to you uh, and i you know you and i have talked about whether or not these spaces are inclusive what i wonder is if what makes them a little more inclusive is that the men who go there are willing to dance and they're willing to dance alone and they're willing to dance with rules and so i think that a lot of men who aren't that vulnerable and i think that if you did a venn diagram of like dudes who are shitty and dudes who are vulnerable you probably wouldn't get a lot of overlap the fact that these men are opting into a to a situation where they have to be dance alone in front of people and be vulnerable maybe takes down that sort of redneck machismo a, a notch and that's why it feels a little a little more safe and let's talk about clothes because i have seen some of the outfits that you wear <laughs> because again i'm you know i'm i'm a little outdated but like it seems like going to the club well for women anyway it's about like being kind of skimpy or like you know showing off all your assets and, and you know the dudes don't really necessarily have a a dress code of, unless it's a a particularly kind of basically racist a place where they tell you no tennis shoes no hats to the back or something like that but what are you wearing at honky tonks and why one of the things that i discovered later in life was that i look really good in western wear and i think it's because <laughs> i'm i'm a as you would say a french fry of a person yes i you know wranglers are like are built for people just like me and uh i tend to be in the tightest pair of wranglers i can put on I also tend to do it's a, a running joke with uh with friends of mine who are in Nashville and in country music is that I'm always advertising. So a thing that's like not necessarily a good thing is that I like these spaces because I can fly under the radar, right? I'm not initially pegged as a queer person the minute I walk in the door, but it's kind of lonely if nobody knows you're queer and you're in a place by yourself. So I have cultivated part of my fashion in in honky tonks is having a little something that's gonna flag me if you so if you know you know so. My quarantine hobby was collecting gay rodeo stuff off of eBay. Um, there's the International Gay Rodeo Association. It's been around since the at least the 80s, maybe even the 70s. But it's a, a rodeo just for queer people with some really good vintage Western wear. And so I was in Nashville a few weeks ago, for example. Tight Wranglers, nice pair of boots, big old buckle, and this black satin jacket that has a silhouette of a guy riding a bull. And on the front, it just embroidered the letters IGRA, International Gay Rodeo Association. And this guy slides up next to me and he was like, you know, I'm at a show at the Exit Inn, like pretty great country honky tonk, good show. And he's like, where'd you get that jacket? And I was like, oh, you know, I got it on, a, on eBay a while ago. And I was like, kind of casual, I was like, yeah, it's actually like a gay rodeo jacket. And he was like, oh, I know. <laughs> and so i was like perfect like mission accomplished i'm doing what i did, did exactly what i needed it to do so i um am often you know combing the internet for good old western wear that's going to let people know that i am uh as we say family oh i will tell you uh one of my best honky tonk stories is going the very first time i went to the coyote joe's in charlotte north carolina which is where i'm from it was the wednesday before thanksgiving i had just started getting good at two-stepping been learning the line dance for maybe a year and I was so excited to do it near home and so I go into the Coyote Joe's and I learn the first two dances they're teaching because generally the way it works is they teach two new dances at the beginning of the night so you get there early to learn and then over the course of the night they'll play those two dances again so you can practice them along with other dances and I just really wanted the two-step but like I said you know I can't uh 
the one of the hardest parts about learning Linux and two-step is that there's a lead and there's a follow. And traditionally the male person leads and a female person follows. Well, I've only learned to follow. So I can't get out on a two-step because all I know how to do is follow. And uh, most of the them old boys down there aren't going to take kindly to me asking for a spinner on the dance floor. <laughs> so I happen to look around and see this table full of women in sensible shoes at this honky talk. And I walked up and I was like, excuse me, ladies, are y'all family? <laughs> and one of them looked at me and said, who's asking? <laughs> and I was like, I'm family too. I just want to dance. And so one of these older lesbian ladies came out on the floor, took me out as my lead, spun me around the dance floor all night. And we both flew under the radar at uh, Coyote Joe's. Aw, that's really sweet. <laughs> yeah. I love seeing your outfits. I also love seeing when you sometimes uh, show what's going on inside and you um, I can see the outfits. And I do see a good mix of people, a lot of older people, uh, a lot of younger people. It is a pretty good mix. Um, and one of the things I love is that those Wranglers, it really is something about seeing <laughs> long legs and jeans and the belt buckles that are just like, look at my crotch. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> One of my favorite country terms is uh, touching buckles. Like if it's a good two-step song and you want to get you want to get a little closer, like you're going to start touching buckles. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Is there a mo- moment in the night where they slow down and then you get to touch buckles? <laughs> oh, yeah. So... Uh, I'm not from Texas. I feel like folks in Texas are, are just born intrinsically knowing this. But so two-step can be extremely sexy. I mean, there it's a partner dance that when you're learning to dance, it is very much dirty dancing. Like this is my dance space and this is your dance space. And I feel like the better you get at it, the smaller that space gets. When you're learning it, one of the one of the partners is following and they're having to move backwards around the dance floor. So Texas two-step in particular happens moving in a circle around the outside of a dance floor. So almost like a racetrack. So it's can be intimidating to learn because it's like being at the roller skating rink, right? Like if you're learning to roller skate and you got all these people buzzing past you, and then like one of the people you're roller skating with is having to go backwards at the same time, it often isn't a very sexy dance to start. But as you watch people and as you hear certain two-step songs, it can get real sexy really quick. And there's a particular type of two-step called the shadow that's just made to be sexy. And so oftentimes you'll hear, you know, someone say, I really want to shadow with you. And it's like a a two-step where instead of facing one another, both dancers are facing the same direction. So you get a lot of like, it's like the country version of being able to grind on the dance floor. So like you get one partner behind the other. It's a very slow, deliberate pace. And when you see people do it well, if you experience somebody doing it well with you, it's like a whole a whole nother level of dancing. Oh, that sounds very sexy and also very romantic. One of the particular shadows that folks love is this song by Alana Miles called Black Velvet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that song plus a sexy two-step. Oh. <laughs> now I'm like, hmm, I definitely want to go. I definitely want to go one night. You talked about going to these places to get a touch of home, but also to be free and be able to express yourself without fear. How has going to these honky-tonks affected your outside life and like how you navigate the world away from them? So I, uh, like I said, you know, I grew up as a, queer kid in the rural South. So self-expression and sort of embodiment was something that was hard for me. You know, being in my body, 
with music being, you know, how am I presenting in a public, you know, I'm in public, like, am I going to get beat up? Like, what am I, you know, a constant sort of self-policing of, of who I am and, you know, what is the context and what do I need to be in this context? And I'd say, you know, Hong Kong can open the door for me because there was rules. It's like, oh, in this context, I only have to be this. And I think it also gave me sort of a party trick, right? So like um, when I go out to, uh, there's a party in Philadelphia every month called Baby's First Rodeo. And when I was first introduced to it, you know, pretty, it's like a, a, a pretty hipster party, pretty intimidating. Like nobody's really trying to have a good time, but everybody's trying to be seen. And I'm like, now that I have these line dances just in my body, I'm like, well, I'm just trying to dance. So I, you know, just walked right up to a stranger and I was like, listen, can you dance to this? Because if you can, I can teach you. We're going to dance to this. And I think that that coupling of an embodiment where it's like, oh, I know how to be in my body for this thing. And it's also a, it's challenging in this way that really feels good to me. So it's like, um, it's not like I'm cutting loose on the dance floor and I'm just going to close my eyes and dance like no one's watching. It's like I have to think about doing these steps at the same time that I'm doing these steps and keep up with what's going on. And so I think it's a whole body experience for me in this way. And it's also a skill that I can kind of pull out as a party trick or as a, you know, to, to attract a crush or to get attention if I'm, if I'm on my Aries thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a nice icebreaker, too, to get people to be like, OK, well, donkeys out on the floor. Let me get out there with them and turn this party up a notch. Are you also teaching now, teaching line dancing? So that's happened completely organically. It happened because I went up to this person and was like, hey, I want to dance to this. Do you know how to dance? And they were like, no. And I was like, well, I can teach you. And the folks who throw this party, Baby's First Rodeo, were like, would you want to teach? You know, you can teach whenever you want. Would you want to teach? And slowly but surely, we sort of picked up steam. And we just had a party last month. And the dance floor was packed. Everybody's having a great time. Philly has this Northeast thing uh, where nobody wants you to know that they're having a good time. We'll just all be here and kind of mill about quietly while while you know bands playing or whatever and so i think there's also a bit of like giving folks an excuse to socialize and to do so and when you're doing the same thing as everybody else it maybe feels a little less vulnerable than it does uh to just get out on the dance floor so yeah where are your favorite places to go in the country oh my gosh uh it would be uh in dallas texas the roundup it is a gay country western bar it's oh, heaven on earth i can't even tell you uh the one room has got like a pool table like a full-on you know like a pool hall honky-tonk feel one room is country karaoke with this nice little bar and then the third room is the big dance floor full of people who know how to dance and there's this bit i don't know if you've ever danced the ballroom dance or social dance where you have to follow someone but there's this spring feeling of like you get somebody who's good at leading and really, all you have to do is just kind of let yourself go and be spot around the dance floor. And there's nothing like it. And all of those boys down there know how to spin you around the dance floor. <laughs> they also, this bar has a, and I don't know why more bars don't do this, from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night, they have a late night happy hour called a howdy hour. Just because they know that people are just getting to the bar. They're, everybody's still, you know, and they're just transitioning to the bar time. So from 10 to 11, they have a late night happy hour. And I'm like, oh, this, you know, on a Friday night is perfect. <laughs> and tell me a couple of songs that you put on when you can't get to the honky tonk but you you want to create the environment in your home oh my gosh um so i've got one just this week that like i am 
it like it won't turn me loose. Uh, it's this. It was actually voted Rolling Stone's best country album of the year. It's a woman named Morgan Wade out of Floyd, Virginia, a little town. She's from a town of 425 people. I talk about being from a small town. She's like <laughs> from the smallest town. Uh, it's a song called Metaphors and Matches. Oh, okay. I think that you would like it. I just got also got a new pair of boots in the mail yesterday that are a little too tight. So I have the excuse of needing to break them in. So I've been wearing around the house dancing to this song nonstop. There's a song by a guy out of Texas named Tristan Merez that's called Out on the Dance Floor. And the premise is he's just broken up, but he's just going to leave his heartache out on the dance floor. Really good one. Great one to dance to. There's a really sexy one by a guy named Gith Rigdon called Body Language. And it's like a slow enough two-step that you can just really touch buckles to it. And the lyrics are like, you know, we're speaking body language. We don't have to say anything else. Let's just talk this body language. <laughs> so I'd say those are maybe my my top three. Okay. I'm going to check those out. <laughs> I especially want to listen to that metaphors and matches because that sounds very interesting. Now, have you ever heard anybody play Prince at a honky tonk? Good question. Um, so the thing about two stepping is like it's a four on the floor beat, right? So you can two step to like we at the Gay Country Line dance, and folks are two stepping to Adele. Like you can two step to a lot of stuff because it's just a you know it's a four on the floor beat. But I I don't think I've ever seen anybody two-step for line dance of Prince. I'm going to run this by my elders at, at Giddy Up Philly. There's an older guy there, Michael, uh, 72 years old. He's been there since it started. And he will definitely know right offhand if there is a song to dance to and whether or not they've ever danced to it. Please let me know. And if they have not, please just say, you have to put this on for my friend. You have to find something for my friend just to let her spirit show up. Oh, my gosh. Donkey, thank you so much. Do you want to tell people where to find you online or not? You don't have to. Yeah, it's just Donkey does it on Instagram and Twitter. And Donkey Tonk Line Dance is this little thing I'm I'm trying to, to get off the ground. So maybe come into a honky tonk near you. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> Okay, folks, now it's time for our indulgence, something you can enjoy without shame or guilt. Because why? There is no such thing as a guilty pleasure. I want you all to stand firm in everything that you enjoy. Today, I'm going to talk about getting outside help. I broke down and got a cleaning service to come in to deep clean my apartment I am a little superstitious, so before the New Year started, I wanted to make sure that I had a clean place so that all the New Year blessings could have a spot to land. The thing is, I have been trying to deep clean my apartment since all of 2021. <laughs> I had so much clutter. I had depression clutter, writer's block clutter, lonely girl clutter. Like, it was everywhere, and I was just overwhelmed. Every time I tried to get into the mood to clean everything up, I would like clean one corner and just get like so discouraged and upset with myself that I let my place get so, I don't know, it wasn't messy. It was just everything seemed to be in one spot and I just could not clear that one spot out. I also had a cat 
you know, I'm allergic to my cat. So I had like dust everywhere. I can't breathe very well. I was snoring terribly at night. It was just a lot. You know, if I had company, I got to a point where I could no longer throw everything into the closet to hide or shove it into my office and have the door closed a little bit so no one could see it. It was just it was just a lot for me. And I just felt so bad about everything. I live by myself. I should be able to handle all of this. But I could not. And then I remembered something that a writer friend of mine said. She's a mother. And she said that she had to learn to be okay with asking for help and learning how to delegate. And I was like, oh, shit. Maybe I could take on that advice myself. So I went to Twitter and I asked about cleaning service recommendations. And I got a lot of good recommendations, and I picked one that I went with this one organization that has a really good mission, and the full cleaning fee goes directly to the people cleaning your apartment. It is cash. There's no, like, hidden fees or anything like that. It's just straight up, this is the amount you pay for getting your apartment cleaned, and it goes directly to that person. It was great. I also love the fact that you have to provide your own cleaning supplies, so you don't need to be concerned about them using anything that's harmful to your health or to the environment. You provide it. If that's something that's important to you, you provide the cleaning supplies, and it's great. I feel so much lighter and better about my place. I feel like I can move around. I feel like the air is different in my place. It probably is. I just i am so grateful that I did that for myself. I needed help. I asked for it. I paid good wages for it. And I feel, I feel good. No mysterious figure popped up in my living room to stone me for admitting to needing help. It's fine. Everything is good and I can breathe better. So I'm telling you, ask for help. This has been your indulgence. You have been absolved. This is Good For You is hosted by me, Nicole Perkins, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver, our editor is Brandon Grugel, and our executive producers are Amanda McLaughlin and me. Our theme was created by Don Will, and our art is by Jessica E. Boyd. You can follow the show at This Is Good Pod, and you can follow me at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T-N, whiskey with an E, woman. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon, especially to our supporting producer-level patrons, Chelsea, Conchetta, Courtney, Elizabeth, and Mira. To get exclusive rewards like stickers, monthly playlists curated by me, and even custom drabbles written just for you, join us for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. This was good for me. Was it good for you? And we're back. Uh, so Adela, if they liked what they just heard, what else should they listen to? So I'm going to recommend another episode from this podcast. So if you enjoyed the podcast, go listen to episode three, Plants Are Good For You. I loved it. The, the guest just literally made me laugh out loud. He was so funny and it was so relatable. And something that they talked about, and I think, Lauren, you kind of got at this earlier, is that... It's really hard, like when you find joy in something and then turn it into your job to like continue finding the joy in it. Like, I think you were very lucky, like you loved podcasts, you created a business around podcasts and you still love podcasts. I 
have experienced that as well. Like, I, not that I, um, you know, this is not my full time job, but I, I created this thing and I still love it. But I've had the experience where like, sort of trying to make it your job has sucked the joy out of it. And so he just really like, is, is so into plants. And he's just like, I just want to do it because I love it. And he called, he names his plants and he talks to them. And they're just, it's such a fun episode. I really highly recommend going to listen to that one. I love that one too. How about you? What, what would you recommend? Okay. Well, if they liked that episode, I mean, I think they should listen to the whole thing, but I'm actually going to recommend episode 29 is the one year anniversary episode. And actually the producer, Eric interviews Nicole. And I actually just thought it was a great episode about how Nicole does the show, Nicole's own guilty pleasures, quote, guilty pleasures. I really liked it. So I feel like that might be a good next one that will just hook you on more. So that's it for us. And that was the end of season one. I'm really sad because I feel like we were just like getting into it and getting into the swing of things, getting used to it. So I want to thank you if you've been listening to this whole time because we're figuring out how to be podcast hosts. Thank you for joining us. We will be back after a little, a little teensy tiny break for another season. So in the meantime, if you have a podcast recommendation that you want us to consider featuring on season two, please email us at feedthek at gmail.com or reach out to us on social. All links are in the show notes. And I just realized my Midwestern accent gets amplified when I'm talking to Adela. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so yes. all links are in the show notes. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Happy listening. And we'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Bye.